Shabbat Shalom. Our country's traumas continue. It's not abated. To the contrary, our national crisis is intensifying. We're still in turmoil. Our politics are still in chaos. We are entering an election season that will exacerbate our divisions and test our central institutions even more. It's not only a question of our national fitness. Our personal well-being is at stake. Mental health experts describe patients whose depressed mood parallels the depressing mood of the country. While there have been periods in American history when domestic tensions have been worse, still, it seems like we are entering a deepening and darkening corridor of danger, a corridor that we will yet have to traverse for a considerable time to come. There's been a lot of talk lately about character, integrity, and moral courage. We seem constantly surprised when others do not live up to our expectations of them. We think, how could that person be so craven, so gutless, so lily-livered? We need to know the truth about ourselves, and we need to acknowledge the truth of the human condition. Human beings are fragile. We are more cowardly than courageous. That's why true courage amazes us and inspires us. Fear suppresses virtue more than we care to admit. Put us under enough pressure and we are capable of cruelty. It's not that we are entirely evil. It's that we have the capacity for evil. Put us under enough pressure, and we will conform. It's not that we are entirely unprincipled. It is that we have the capacity for self-deceit and rationalization. Our great strength is that we are social animals. Our great weakness is that we are social animals. Our self-approval is dependent upon the approval of others. We run with the herd. It's why we act like sheep when threatened with ostracism. The flock is our protection. From antiquity to our times, we dreaded banishment and excommunication. To be outside the herd threatens both our emotional and physical well-being. The astute sheep herder knows this and dispenses rewards and punishments accordingly. Machiavelli wrote, it's much safer to be feared than to be loved. Love is held by a chain of obligation which men being selfish 
is broken whenever it serves their purpose. But fear is to maintain by a dread of punishment which never fails. For this can be said of men in general, that they are ungrateful, fickle, hypocrites, and dissemblers, avoiders of dangers, greedy for gain. While you benefit them, they are entirely yours. Knowing how susceptible human beings are to reward and punishment, how fear disrupts our emotional equilibrium, the shepherd's character is paramount. It's the shepherd that leads the flock. Jewish sages envisioned God saying to Moses, because you have been a faithful shepherd to your sheep, I will appoint you the shepherd of my flock. Above all else, God selected Moses because he was a good man. He had an instinct for justice and was inherently empathetic. Cruelty bothered him. Even before encountering God on Mount Sinai, Moses took action at considerable risk to his well-being and safety. That's how we ended up in Sinai in the first place. Fleeing Pharaoh's edict to kill him after his slaying of an Egyptian taskmaster. Character is the first and most critical ingredient of enlightened leadership. The best of us are not necessarily smarter or more talented. The best of us have a better character. The best are grounded in moral integrity. Their principles give them strength and judgment, intelligence, knowledge, and even experience can take you only so far. The reason we never seem to learn from history that we make the same mistakes over and over again is that these are not the same mistakes. They are different mistakes. History never repeats itself. There are too many variables. Every situation is different. No one can predict the tests that await the leader or the nation. There's no formula, no equation that can be uploaded and inserted into some data bank for every circumstance. And therefore, the indispensable criterion for leadership is moral awareness. Is this person grounded in good values? Does she have the moral fortitude to withstand the inevitable test to these values? A morally grounded leader is more likely to overcome the pressures of conformity, cowardice, prejudice, fear, and intolerance that saturate the human condition. In this week's Torah portion, Bishalach, we read that Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go. 
our attention is inevitably drawn to the Israelites who are marching towards the Red Sea and towards freedom. We rarely take the time to think about those that the Israelites left behind. At that moment, when Egypt was emptied of its slaves, what was Pharaoh thinking? What were Pharaoh's servants thinking? In one of the great verses of the Bible, we read, And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his courtiers had a change of heart about the people and said, Mazot asinu ki shilachnu et Yisrael miavdenu. What have we done? How could we have released Israel from our work? Jewish sages questioned why Pharaoh changed his mind. After all of the suffering of the Egyptians, what could have possibly motivated Pharaoh and his court to risk it all so catastrophically reversing their previous decisions to let the slaves go. The Midrash gives two reasons. First, Pharaoh and his court said, if we had been plagued without letting them go, it would have been worth it to let them go. But we were already plagued, so why now let them go? The worst has already occurred. Second, Pharaoh and his court said, if we had been plagued and let them go without our money, it would have been worth it. But we were plagued, and in addition, they left with our money. What have we gained? In other words, Jewish sages teach that Pharaoh changed his mind and pursued the Israelites to his own ultimate demise because of two of the most seductive human impulses. First, ego, national pride, personal pride, self-regard. Those slaves assaulted our power, our sense of self-worth, of our self-pride. How can we let them go? We must take vengeance. Otherwise, we will be unable to live with ourselves. And those around us who are cowed by our power will begin to think that they can rebel too. Egypt must be respected. Egypt must be feared, or they will take us for suckers. The second reason that Pharaoh changed his mind, according to the rabbis, is the reason that many people make catastrophic decisions that ruin their lives. Money, national and personal wealth, those slaves took our money. 
compensation, say the rabbis, for 400 years of slavery. And now they're gone with our money. Who will do our work? If we are not careful, this impulse of self-enrichment can overwhelm our decision-making at a terrible cost to human dignity and even to our long-term interests. The worst offense against human goodness is to seduce human beings in the viler, more cowardly part of our nature. According to the rabbis, Pharaoh's initial decision to let the people go was not the result of some kind of moral awakening that he had, that slavery was wrong. And so when confronted with the seductions of pride, ego, vengeance, wealth, it overwhelmed reason. Had Pharaoh been anchored in moral values, he could have withstood the assaults on his vanity. But, in the words of that awesome poem by Bertolt Brecht, even in Atlantis of the legend, the night the seas rushed in, the drowning men still bellowed for their slaves. And so in Egypt, Pharaoh too had no concern for the slaves themselves and no second thoughts about the morality of what Frederick Douglass called the means by which men seek to live without labor, to eat bread by the sweat of another's brow, to get gold without digging it. And thus, even after the Israelites departed, while Egypt still bleeding from the plagues, the Egyptians still bellowed for their slaves. It's only when we contemplate the slave as a moral and intellectual being, said Douglas, that we can adequately comprehend the unparalleled enormity of slavery and the intense criminality of the slaveholder. It was because of our country's inability to contemplate the slave as a moral and intellectual being that slavery did not end until Abraham Lincoln ended it more than 240 years after the first slave ship landed on our shores. Because Lincoln was not only smart, he was not only experienced, others were just as smart and just as experienced. But Lincoln was that rare leader, a man of the highest moral integrity, who contemplated the slave as a moral and intellectual being and whose critical decisions were anchored in moral values. Only when he assumed power did this scourge on our country end. I believe in humanity, despite all our stupidities and weaknesses. I believe in America in its fundamental optimism and its capacity for self-renewal. I believe in history and history's hope.
that our slow, tortured climb up from the pits of depravity can lead us into the sunlight of a new dawn. History says, don't hope on the side of the grave. But then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up, and hope and history rhyme. So hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Believe that a further shore is reachable from here. Believe in miracles and cures and healing wells. Call miracles self-healing, the utter self-revealing, double take of feeling. If there's a fire on the mountain and lightning and storm and a God speaks from the sky, that means someone is hearing the outcry and the birth cry of life at its new term. It means once in a lifetime that justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme.